You probably haven't heard of OpenStore, but they've raised over $100 million to specifically buy e-commerce businesses. I was intrigued by the story and got to go under the hood with their co-founder, Jeremy Wood. We need to go out and be able to predict how well we think we can run a business. Give that very quickly to the founders of this business and say, hey, this is what an exit opportunity would look like for you. But before OpenStore raised over $100 million, I asked Jeremy, what was going through your head day to day? Prior to that massive valuation, you're in this constant state of, is the world going to be as excited about this as I am? You have to wake up every morning and convince yourself that that's true. That's not the hard part. The hard part is then going out and convincing other people of that every day. The reason you should keep listening, you learn from a buyer's perspective as well as a founder. This, in this case, they're obviously one. What they look for when they're buying a business and how they actually looked at their own product, this algorithm of knowing what to buy. Enjoy it. Welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast. We interview the best founders in the world and ask them what they did in the early days, right before that hockey stick growth moment. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, a former founder. I live here in San Francisco and I now work for Zendesk for Startups. Zendesk is a customer support platform and we offer six months free to qualified product-oriented startups. Two partner shout outs. First, Rayon. They're creating the world's best user experience for founders to engage with investors. Really interesting. Second, Lark. They're an all-in-one team productivity suite with features like messaging, docs, all in one spot. Check them out. Jeremy, welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast. Uh, super excited to have you here today to talk about Open Store and being a co-founder on that team. First, just high level. What do you do and what's the most recent valuation? <laughs> Um, most recent valuation is almost a billion dollars, uh, which was really exciting. Um, what do I do? I do everything that I uh, that the company needs me to do. So I'm all over the place. Uh, I started off building this company as head of engineering. Um, more recently, I've kind of verged out of just engineering and am focused on kind of next horizon opportunities for the company. Mm, very cool. And what what space are y'all working on? Just for anyone who hasn't uh, heard about Open Store. Yeah, so we're in the e-commerce space. Uh, we buy up or otherwise operate uh, Shopify stores and then just try and run them really, really efficiently, keep them going with their original vision uh, and just do a bang us bang up job about it. Man, that's that's really cool. And I was reading your article in TechCrunch. Everyone should check that out. Um, try to remember to put that in the show notes, but just seeing the the near unicorn valuation in such short amount of time. It's really cool. It should never become a normal thing. I think it's like, oh, we're used to that. But like, this is like a one in a million startup opportunity here. So cannot wait to go under the hood, hear some of those growth stories. Could you just share like, maybe let's start off with a low moment in the past since founding you've been able to overcome just to relate and connect with a lot of the founders out there that are struggling to, to get past this season right now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a continual set of low moments um, mixed in with high ones. There's like no, like you have a, a, a rock bottom and then you come back, or at least I didn't have that experience at any point. Um, I think especially for the first year prior to that massive valuation, you're in this constant state of, is the world going to be as excited about this as I am? Is this as big a deal as I think it is? And you, you have to wake up every morning and convince yourself that that's true. Um, and if you, I think, have a really solid founding team around you, a really solid company vision, that's not the hard part. The hard part is then going out and convincing other people of that every day. Um, I think for us, or specifically for me, uh, really my job for the first half of the company's life was two things. It was building stuff internally. 
um, and making sure that we could launch, that we could value businesses, that we could do everything that we needed to be able to do. Uh, and then it was talking to candidates and recruiting and finding other people that wanted to join us on this journey. Um, and so I was constantly having to go out and say, okay, here's everything that I believe to be true. Here's everything uh, I believe about the world. Um, and that was that was a muscle that I had to build over time. And I think I got better and better at, but there are definitely some low moments early on there where I was like, oh man, like how in the world am I going to convince everyone else that this is as important as I think it is? I don't think I can even properly express it. Um, and then over time, I, <laughs> I think I got pretty good at expressing it. Man, well, what were your biggest doubts? I'm just curious because I feel like as I talk to founders who raise a lot of money, a lot of them share those doubts, even with investors in the beginning, kind of like, here's the the problems that we're not, you know, that, that like, here are the dead bodies essentially in the business. We're, we're, you know, we're actively working to solve it in all these ways, but maybe there was a specific one that you could share in like those early days. Uh, I think we believed very strongly in um, build the right engine and then start running it and that's that's actually a leadership philosophy that comes very much from keith um what it actually meant was we didn't buy our first business for a long time i uh, i don't i don't think i have the exact month on me but there was a there was a long period of time there where we were building the company and yet we were to operate and own e-commerce businesses and yet we had not actually acquired an e-commerce business so i think there were numerous conversations i had uh, where I told people that and people were basically like, I don't really think I want to, I, I want to work there yet. Like, I don't even know if you guys are going to be able to buy a business, um, much less get to the point where we are now where we're uh, above 40 businesses. Um, and so that was, that was kind of a deflationary moment where I was like, well, get there. And they were like, yeah, but you, you're not there yet. Isn't this your whole purpose? Oh, absolutely. Well, take us into this unique business model for a second, because it is so different than a lot of the other startups that we talked to. So you're, it's, it's not a private equity model, but there's, but just, yeah, just dive in and share. Yeah, but it's close. So I think the way that we started off was we wanted to provide liquidity to founders um, of e-commerce stores. There's over 1.7 million Shopify stores out there. We wanted to start off with Shopify. Shopify is not the only e-commerce platform, but it's just kind of the, it, it was in the sweet spots for, for us. Um, so the model was, uh, we need to go out, be able to predict how well we think we can run a business before we actually start running the business. Uh, give that very quickly to the uh, founders of this business and say, hey, uh, this is what an exit opportunity would look like for you. And this was in a world where there really aren't exit opportunities uh, for these e-commerce founders. They aren't taking on VC money. They're not growing these as like uh, true like 10x growth vehicles. Um, these are businesses that they're running, uh, like a kind of self-owned, uh, self-run general store. Um, so they don't have a lot of opportunities to get rid of that business afterwards, or if they decide they want to move on to anything else, if they get tired of running it, if they think that it could be worth more under someone else's leadership, or if they even honestly just usually get excited about a different idea. Um, so we were coming in, knew that we wanted to provide a liquidity product for them at first uh, and would uh, fully take over the business uh, if they decide that this was the right move for them uh, and run it from there. More recently, we've also launched a different product, which is we don't actually even need to take over the ownership of it. We'll just operate the store. So founders will give it to us to handle for a year 
um, will operate it at the end of that year. They can decide to take back ownership of it and day-to-day -day operations, um, or they can let us continue running it. Very cool. I, I love this, just providing liquidity for founders who are all in, as a former founder, like your whole life's at, and you feel like there might not be, if there's no clear exit, then you're you're kind of stuck and you're choosing to like keep it going on the side and go work on something else or just do something that you're not as excited about, but just you're kind of trapped into. And at least there's generally a well-trodden path there of, okay, this is exactly what you would do with a business. You either get to uh, an acquisition event or you get to a liquidity event. So something like an IPO. Um, there just isn't that for these e-commerce stores. They could be running it for 20 years uh, and it, there's still no, no future other than them continuing to run it. Um, so we really wanted to go in and solve that problem and saw that as a massive gap in the marketplace. That's amazing. What's the biggest objection you find with one of those founders? If you're, if you're reaching out to them to say, Hey, can we buy your business or can we help you? Uh, usually that the, um, I think there's a couple, if they come to us, it's usually that they have other beliefs about the market or other beliefs about where their business is going that we struggle to price in um, or that we don't think that we could carry through. And so we're not able to reflect that in the pricing. So this is like someone who's selling 80% um, of their, their products to, let's say, a Walmart. We're, we're not really wanting to operate in that domain right now. So we're not going to give them a price based on that. And usually then that's not something they're happy with. Um, I think a lot of a lot of the answers are usually that. Got it. Yeah, just pricing things. Yeah, which which makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I mean, well, help us with like how you first started growing this. So you you had you had to raise the money first, and maybe you could share more about your other co-founders um, on their background as well as yours to get to a point to even do this. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think we were we were uh, in some ways raising at an ideal time. Uh, we were coming off of uh, this, not even coming off of, we were still partway through this e-commerce boom um, that was happening during COVID, which was really awesome to see. I think it, it was, uh, if you can label it in an um, anthropomorphic way, it was uh, maybe overexcited. Um, the market was just really eager to move towards e-commerce because people didn't want to be in person. So um, you saw a decrease in brick and mortar. Uh, I think some of that has actually come back, which we expected as soon as COVID ended. That makes sense. Suddenly you can go walk around in your neighborhood and have coffee with people again. Of course, you're probably going to be buying more from the stores in that neighborhood too. Um, but e-commerce was doing really well at the time. Uh, the funding environment was super favorable. So especially early on, I think it was all of the signs were in, in our favor. And I think um, one key question I often ask people when they're, their fundraising, especially their first uh, round, is why now? Why would you build your business now? What's changed about the market that uh, this couldn't have been built five years ago or 10 years ago? Um, because if it could have, it probably was. Uh, there's a lot of ideas out there. There's a lot of motivated people. You need to time um, the market correctly and then come in with really motivated people and a really strong idea. Um, so for us, I think it was that moment. We were able to pitch like e-commerce has been doing really well. There's this massive burgeoning of Shopify stores, especially coming off of COVID. Um, we don't actually even want to make a bet on where e-commerce is going, but all of these Shopify store founders certainly have. 
and our like that marketplace has grown like no other um, over the past couple of years. So there's like a lot of people for us to actually serve and create a product for out there right now. Um, funding environment is good. Uh, people are getting tired of Amazon. Like shortly after our um, founding, um, shortly is a, a long shot, like seven months after we founded the company, uh, Shopify surpassed Amazon in a uh, total number of uh, monthly customers. And I think that was also a really cool moment of people moving away from these like Amazon-like experiences towards more of these bespoke individual uh, narrative-driven uh, e-commerce brands. Um, so just the, the moment was right for us to jump in and provide a product for all of these growing brands that uh, as people decide they wanted to move on and do something else, uh, needed something to do with it, needed a way to exit a wave to, to find liquidity. That is really interesting. I did not know that about Shopify compared to Amazon. That's yeah. that's great news for, for so this competition. Coming back to answer the question then, because um, I, I know I dodged that a little bit. I think the timing was really right. Uh, I was lucky enough to build a company alongside uh, Keith Raboy, who uh, also had a large amount of trust, I think, from the VC community as well. So I think the fundraising for us was a combination of saying, we really think we've hit on a, a really strong idea, a strong moment in time, and we certainly have the team to do it. Yeah, that's it's amazing. And obviously, it looks like it's already happening with your models, being able to evaluate a Shopify store. And by the way, I'm I'm just kind of rolling here because this is so different. Open store is so different than most of the startups we talk to, but I, I love it. And I just, I think it's really intriguing for a lot of our um, audience, but what correlates best for a strong business that you would look to purchase? And maybe there's a couple metrics you could share uh, that you've seen in your algorithm. I don't think there's a one size fits all. Mm partly because we want to be able to price a business no matter what its performance has been. Um, certainly if it's up and to the right, we're probably going to price it more favorably than if it's down and to the right, but we'll price it nonetheless. And so we're really trying to go in with the same understanding that the founder probably has of the business's valuation um, so that we can see eye to eye with them which means we'll, we'll price a ton of different kinds of businesses. So there's really no good one size fits all metric for that. Got it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious if there's anything else for a founder that they should be focusing on besides just the obvious of, of sales, like how you determine future value in, in different categories of e-commerce, anything like that would be cool. I think there's certainly for the Shopify stores, there's, there's two, and this is going to be less relevant for the startup founders out there who aren't, um, doing e-commerce uh, Shopify stores. Well, essentially one is marketing efficiency. So like we really care about um, how good are they at marketing um, over time, especially is that something where they're frequently having to refresh the, the creative that they're doing um, or is it kind of an evergreen, they hit on a niche that uh, really is resonating with customers, doesn't require a lot of explaining, doesn't require a lot of finesse. Again, it can kind of go either way for how we value the company, uh, but it's something, certainly something that we care about a lot because we're going to have to be able to replicate whatever they're doing. I think that's the biggest one. I think otherwise it, it really is we try and have a, a, a solution for every business and they're, they're all very different depending on where you are. Um, certainly in e-commerce because e-commerce we talk about as one uh, like individual sector, but the truth is it's 
every sector just online. And it's a little outdated that we even consider that a single sector. Um, so it varies so widely depending on where they are in that and what they're selling. Wow. That's, and, and you've been able to, you're able to value a business. How long does it take to value a business? Uh, we do it within 24 hours. Um, there's some due diligence that will follow up after that that might take longer, but we usually try and stick um, pretty strictly to that initial offer unless there's just completely out of left field information that comes out. That's amazing. This is like uh, getting a quick offer for a house <laughs> kind of product. Yeah, except for luckily, unlike a house where you're you're trying to scrape together a bunch of public data to make it happen, um, we're able to usually get what we need from the merchants. Um, and there are expected standards around uh, how exactly they're tracking their performance over time that makes it pretty easy for us to do this broadly um, within the e-commerce ecosystem. Wow. Is there any retention kind of metrics? Obviously, e-commerce doesn't have that, but just like repeat buyer metrics that you could share that you look for? varies totally by business. We love yeah. seeing strong retention. Like it's really awesome if you have customers that are coming back to you um, month over month, but it all just fits into the unit economic dynamics. I mean, if they're having uh, a lot of repeat customers, their CACs are going to be super low, um, but that might also be offset by their margins also being really low. And so they really need that to sustain the business. So it, it is, it's a complex kind of uh, unit ac economic environment um that does vary business by business that's amazing but yet you're do able to do this in 24 hours yeah wow so once once you take over a business what does that look like yeah so for us uh, a key a key metric we're actually tracking um just to keep ourselves honest is how quickly we're able to do that process we we care about speed throughout the like the moment a merchant comes to our site and uh, applies for a price all the way through to we are now operating this business. We really care about how fast we're able to do it at first uh, to give the merchant as good of an experience as possible. Um, and then towards the latter half that we just don't wanna drop the ball at any point. We wanna be able to carry this business through from this kind of shaky, rocky period where it's in transition between the two sides um, into being a really functional, um, strongly performing store. Uh, so we care about trying to get as much of that information up front as possible and then integrating all of our systems with it really quickly. So there's a lot of engineering work that goes into that. There's a lot of operations work, um, a lot of really amazing individuals on the team who, who um, spend a lot of their days making that possible for our businesses. Um, and then since we've exited that phase, we're into this, okay, we now have to run this like our the rest of our stores. Um, for us, that's a little bit interesting only because we... Uh, we need to also move fast on that first piece because it takes a lot of effort, but you have a fixed number that will come through at any time, um, essentially coming through from acquisitions into operations. But contrast that with on our operation side, we really need everything dialed correctly because the number of businesses that we're operating is just going to grow over time. There's no decrease. There's no like suddenly, okay, we've completed our funnel. Um, we can go take a day off. Uh, that's uh, absolutely never going to happen. So um, once it gets into that side of the business, for us, it's really about building as much automation into the pieces that require automation or are even available for automation. And then um, kind of isolating the parts that are going to require some level of human input. So marketing is, is a big one here. 
of how are we going to put together the the creative assets, put together the campaigns, um, make sure that we understand what is happening with the customers, what they care about right now, and how that's changed over the last six months. Um, trying to give the people working on that as many tools to become superhuman as possible, uh, while letting them continue to do what is is going to be a very human job. Very neat. So is, is there any cool automations that you've been able to do using AI over the past six months that you could share? I think there's a couple. There's one that we've explored that I don't think is mature yet, um, which is actually exactly what I was just talking about with marketing. There are opportunities within that to automate. And over time, um, more and more of this content, I think, is going to be uh, generated really well by AI. And that's going to be exciting to see. I think it's going to hit all of e-commerce. Um, Partly because generally the movement in the marketplace uh, has been uh, away from kind of Amazon style. You put an image of a product in front of someone, they like the image of the product, they buy it. Um, people don't really, and for good reason, trust that as much anymore. You can do a lot of things with a product in a studio. Um, so I think first there was influencer marketing. I think that's still very strong, but it was, okay, how do I actually get a review from someone who's outside the company who maybe is going to be a little bit more objective about it. Even as people realize that influencers are often paid, they're still going to be slightly different perspective. It's going to be a little less polished, hopefully. Um, I've been really excited about the move towards live commerce because I think it accomplishes the same thing where suddenly people are able to actually ask questions. They're able to see something interacted with live. It's kind of very far away now from the you get a, one or two still shots of an image in a studio towards you're seeing this product live, you're seeing it moved around, you're seeing someone's facial expressions as they interact with it. I think AI is potentially going to allow the same thing where you can start just generating a bunch of different views on a product uh, and actually give uh, paradoxically, because I think people think of AI as fabricating uh, fake stuff for a customer, I think it's also going to open the door towards really strong customization for customers that's going to allow actually customized viewings of products so that they can get their questions answered about it uh, in a reliable fashion. Um, that is absolutely not something we're able to do right now. That is something I'm excited about for the future. I think on the the Early, easier side for us, stuff we've actually started targeting and has been um, really awesome is finding ways to um, filter through a, a barrage of social media and customer support and reviews and just help us better understand what exactly the communities think about our products. Um, because we can't always go and read every single review. We would like to, and we read a lot of them, but we can't. Um, so synthesizing those, understanding those, and then giving us a better view of that so we can actually respond and improve our products uh, has been a really awesome near-term application of AI. Oh, that's really cool. Well, Jeremy, this is such a unique interview. I, I hope that um, everyone listening got a unique perspective of how you've been able to, to figure out a model that you can then run 40 businesses, e-commerce businesses, and continue to grow and have a valuation of a billion dollars. Um, congratulations. Thank you for sharing all this. What's the best way to reach out to you? If if I'm a founder looking to learn more in any way, um, maybe it's Twitter or LinkedIn. Always LinkedIn. <laughs> Same here. Um, and this has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you so much, Jeremy. 
Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for startups, check out our website, zendesk.com slash startups. Also, we're always looking to improve. So don't hesitate to email me with any feedback on how we can ask better questions, guess the target, or anything else so we can do to better help you as a founder. My email is adam.odonnell at zendesk.com.